0: Welcome to Sense and Sensibility, the Inflation Guy podcast. I am Michael Ashton. I am the Inflation Guy, and I am your host. And um, do you smell that? Do you smell that? It's that new sponsor smell. We have a new sponsor starting with today's episode, and I'd like to welcome... Simplify ETFs as a sponsor to the program. This episode of Sense and Sensibility is sponsored by Simplify ETFs. Simplify is a manager of alternative ETFs solving today's most pressing portfolio challenges. This includes income solutions like SVOL, S-V-O-L, yield curve plays like TUA, TUA, and 60-40 diversifiers such as CTA. If you are an individual investor or RIA, you will likely find that something they have done addresses a particular problem you have that you didn't know is solvable. Check out their website at simplify.us. That's simplify.us, and you can find their entire lineup of ETFs at simplify.us slash ETFs. Really appreciate the sponsorship. Now, before we get into the program, I want to do a little of what we call in the biz cross selling. I wrote a blog yesterday about uh, how airline loyalty miles have become money, as opposed to you know they used to be sort of uh, uh, buy buy five get one free kind of kind of coupons. Um, but they become money, and, and, and so I wrote in the blog about what that means for the strategy of keeping them or using them and for what, because the strategy used to be one thing and it's changed to being now something very different. Uh, the blog is at inflationguy.blog, and it's, it. That, that, I, I like that blog post. You know, I, I should point out that the blog and this podcast, they're generally separate content. Uh, it's not like one is the mirror of the other and I... You know, go. I mean, although I, I have once I did include a um, uh, transcript of one of my podcasts, but you know, it isn't like I usually read an article I've written or or have a transcript of the podcast. They're usually sort of independent and separate, except for the CPI report, of course, every month. Um, so consider su- subscribing to both. Uh, they're both free, after all. Uh, now today, today we are going to talk about. Uh, a topic that keeps coming up uh, when people email me and uh, when I'm on other podcasts. And we're going to talk about innovation and productivity. Uh, I've been asked a lot about whether the, the rise of chat GPT and, and other forms of art, artificial intelligence means that uh, inflation's a dead letter. You know, we've reached the end of history. uh inflation's going to shift forever. It's going to shift lower forever. As the computers make us all more and more productive and eventually eliminate huge amounts of work from the list of things that humans have to do. And so in terms of output per labor hour, uh, if I don't have to labor at all to do something, that's infinite productivity on those things. And so even, even if you have a few things that get replaced by machines, um, that could drastically lower inflation, right? Um, Well, eh, yes and no, I guess. Uh, You know, we've had lots of examples of this over history, you know. um, And, uh, well, remember that – let's start at the beginning. Remember that real growth in economic output comes from one of two things. How do you make more stuff? Well, you either have to have more people working, increase the working population, or output per worker, also known as productivity – grows, or both things. If you care about overall growth, then either way of increasing output works. You can, you know, open up your borders, bring lots of new workers, and that will increase your total output. Um, if you care about standard of living, then, then you really want to see um, I mean, that's more closely tied to output per worker. And so productivity is basically the whole ball of wax. If, if you have, you know, if you're if you're making huge strides in productivity, you're making huge strides in in the quality of life. I mean, think about, you know, the the uh, invention of the plow or the cotton gin, you know, which which you know dramatically all those things in the Industrial Revolution that dramatically changed the productivity of a worker, and at the same time dramatically improved the the standard of living of of, of everybody at the time. You know, the Industrial Revolution was a was a time of a great leap forward in terms of the output of the average worker, but also a great leap forward in terms of the standard of living and the, the comforts that the average worker could could go and afford. So we really we really we should really want the computers to take over. I mean, you know, not like the matrix takeover, but you know, iRobot kind of takeover. You know benevolent, tireless, genius slaves is what we want. Of course, if I'm tireless and I'm a genius, I guess I'm not sure why I'm happy being a slave. I mean, look at Jeff Bezos. Uh, But that's why we have, uh, that's why Isaac Asimov invented the three laws of robotics. If you're going to have benevolent, tireless genius uh, and you want them to be slaves, you better like code in there something which keeps them from, you know, attacking you because they don't want to be slaves anymore. Um, Anyway, I digress. Um, Let's look at some of the history of the growth of labor productivity in, in the US because when we think about AI and you know the latest whiz bang developments um it it's just a, it's just another in a long line of innovations right i mean i just i mentioned the plow i mentioned the cotton gin i you know there's you know uh, robots on assembly lines there's the personal computer there's the internet um, and we can go on and on, uh, uh, you know, the motor car, the aeroplane, um, all of these things were, were great, were huge improvements. So let's look a little bit at the history of, of what actually happened to productivity, you know, in, over time when, when there have been other innovations. Um, now, quarterly measurement of non-farm business labor productivity – in terms of output per hour, is incredibly volatile. It's sort of hard to measure how many hours that we're putting in. It's kind of hard to measure the output precisely. And so if you actually look at, you know, the, the quarterly productivity numbers, they're crazy noisy. So you have to you have to smooth it, and you can't just, like, smooth it for a year. You have to smooth it for multiple years. Oh, and by the way, they're subject to massive revisions um, over time. And so... You know, you can you can have something which looks like a productivity miracle. Five years later, it's all been revised away once we get better numbers. So you have to be a little bit careful of that. Um, but so to get any sense of a trend at all, you have to smooth over like, you know, two years or five years. I mean, if, seriously, if you look at quarterly changes, it's kind of like looking at a plate of spaghetti. It's just all over the place. So basically, output per hour, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, trended down from the late 60s, early 70s to the late 80s, early 90s. So the rolling five-year average went from about 3% annual productivity growth to about 1.5%. So 3% meaning that every year for the same number of hours, uh, we produce 3% more output stuff, goods and services, okay? Okay. So we went from 3.5% annual productivity growth to 1.5%. That was a, you know, multi-decade trend. Then from about 1993 to 2010, it went from 1.5% up to about 2.8%. So it kind of almost did a round trip. Uh, if you look at the entire period from like the late 60s to 2010, you know, total pro- the pro- productivity uh, measured by output per hour, increased, um, you know, 3% at the end and 3% per, per annum at the beginning, and then in the middle, you're a little bit slower. Um, but, but that's kind of the range, one5 to 3%. Um, since 2010, productivity has been trending downward, and the five-year average is now something like 1.5%. So if anything, looking at that, long, that long-term... Actually it makes it look like productivity co-varies with inflation. So it goes down, it goes, you know, up when inflation is going up, and it goes down when inflation is going down. So you know, the the uh, the uh, uh, late eighties, early nineties, you know, we had lowish inflation you know, compared to the early and mid-70s. And productivity had gone from 3% down to 1.5%. So that's kind of going in the same direction. And again, reversing from the early 90s um, uh, to, to 2010, it kind of, you know, I guess I guess inflation was mostly stable there and, and you know, productivity went up a little bit. But then it's gone, it's gone down since then um, as inflation until the last year or two has been quite low but it's hard to tell I mean you know, these are these are big picture averages um, and, and and by the way most of this is probably measurement error because we don't have we don't have a good theory for why more productivity would mean more inflation so that's probably anything which looks which makes it look like they, they vary together is probably wrong I'll talk more about measurement error in just a second. If you look at a two-year average instead of a five-year average to, you know, catch short-term things, um, then, uh, then you get, it, it gets a little bit interesting in the late 90s. You start to get a jump in 1998, right when everybody started getting really excited about how the internet would greatly increase productivity as the computers became benevolent, tireless, genius slaves, um, you know, the, uh, I mean, the internet bubble, right? So the, the the stock market boomed. So as an aside, you might see some reason why Wall Street really wants to convince you that AI is the next internet, right? Because it was really profitable, really profitable. I mean, in other words, what, what it did for productivity, don't know. What it did for the for wealth of people on Wall Street, pretty darn positive, right? So, um, you know, the shills were out in force back then, and uh, so we need to be a little bit careful. We always need to be careful uh, about the shills, but but anyway, but but productivity in the you know, starting in ninety eight did go up until about two thousand and three, and it's kind of declined ever since on a rolling two year basis. I said so that's kind of weird on its face, right? Why would we have a short term spike in productivity for something as transformative? as the internet. Well, the main answer is that transformative technologies represent step changes in output, step changes in productivity. They permanently change the level of productivity. They permanently change the level of output per worker, but they don't permanently change the rate of increase of productivity. Okay. So, So it makes perfect sense, right? So the invention of the cotton gin dramatically changed output in the harvesting and processing of cotton as we moved from the old way to using the cotton gin. Um, But once that had happened, then, you know, that was a permanent change in how much cotton we could process. But then how does it, it's not going to make another step change, right? Because we've now, that's now fully incorporated it didn't change the, the, how much more cotton we would do every year after that compared to the prior year, right? So, you know, if, uh, if we were processing, I don't I'm just going to totally make up numbers and even units because I have no idea how, you, how you'd measure this. But you know, if we were processing, you know, one hectare per hour and then all of a sudden with the, with the cotton gin, we went up to two hectares per hour, and we're now using cotton gin everywhere we pre- previously used uh, manual labor. Well, the next year it doesn't go up to three hectares because we've already implemented the cotton gin, right? So so from that, that, from that point on, you wouldn't necessarily expect that having the cotton gin will change the rate of productivity increase. And so you would get, again, tying productivity to standard of living, you would expect that the bump in productivity to be associated with a bump in the standard of living, uh, but you wouldn't then expect that standard of living to continue to improve at that rate going forward. So it's really important to kind of not confuse the level and the rate of change effects when you look at, uh, when you look at technology, when you look at, at innovation, stuff uh, like this. So transformative technology, generally speaking, will increase your standard of living, uh, but just once, not continually. Now, of course you know it's not like once in one year like you know the invention or the 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 uh, the internet becoming more and more widespread um, you know is sort of a you know, there's no it's not like the cotton gin that there's like you know it's fully implemented after X hours right or after X years um, it does take a while for that innovation to be fully realized or mostly realized but but still most of the benefits are going to come at the beginning when you are first able to use a computer to uh, to solve the problem for your your dissertation um, you know the mainframe you the, the first time there are desktop computers um, the first time that you know you have a cell phone now that can that can act as a uh, as, as a communications a mobile communications device um you know all of those things. Most of the benefits will accrue towards the beginning, and that's like I said, that's what happened in the late '90s, as you know this this boom in in uh, in all things internet. Um, it it really was transformative. We do there were a lot of things that changed between '98 and two thousand and three, and things have been continued to improve since then. But it's gone back to sort of the old level of increase you know the 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 one-time effect is fairly short term even for something as transformative of the internet as the internet now <clears throat> there's also an argument to be made that we don't measure productivity very well period um, and in fact that we systematic we're systematically bad at measuring some things that are really important like intellectual property and medical care. And yes, I hear you, Steve. I, I know that's a point that you and I have been talking about for a very long time. And maybe I'll have you on the program at some point to articulate it better than I tend to articulate. But, um, but you know, if we are systematically low on estimating productivity growth because we don't fully appreciate the value of that intellectual property, the value of, of how much medical care has improved, If we're systematically low on estimating those things compared to what reality actually is, it means we're going to systematically uh, underestimate growth and overestimate inflation, which, by the way, is kind of the opposite argument that a lot of people make, that we systematically underestimate inflation. But the answer to that objection is the same as, as the answer to the to the guy who says that inflation is really 8% a year. Well, it is now, but um, you know, it, it's been 8% a year since the early 80s. Um, the answer is the same. There's no evidence that we are significantly, say, half a percent or more per year, biasing our estimate of inflation too high um, or too low over time. Um, and the reason we know that is that over a long period of time, like 30 or 40 years, even a small miss on inflation, if we were systematically... Measuring inflation too high or measuring inflation too low, it would mean a really big change in prices over time relative to incomes, which we measure pretty well. And so the standard of living that's about actually experiences uh, compared to what the price index says you should be having would be dramatically different because those little things compound quite a bit. I, I, I wrote a blog on this um, called uh, Eighth Grade Math uh, versus, versus Shadow Stats, I think is what I called it. Um, uh, on my blog, at inflationguy.blog. and, and I, I wrote i wrote that article years ago because i got tired of saying the same thing but the argument is that is sort of the same with productivity do we measure it well no do we systematically mismeasure some things like medical care yeah definitely is it large enough that we are just systematically mismeasuring everything and so we're 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 just wrong about what growth is and wrong about inflation over a long period of time it it the amount we're missing can't be that much, or we would see a much, 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 much bigger effect in in the long run. Um, so while we can't measure productivity very well, it seems unlikely we're wildly wildly off over a long period of time. In some industries like healthcare, then we probably are, but broadly it doesn't look like it. So, ergo, despite the fact that in the last fifty years we've seen the introduction of the computer, the home computer and the internet, uh, and now chat GPT and other artificial intelligence, productivity has little spikes along the way associated with these in- big innovations, but then tends to return to trend and overall keeps plodding on. And that's what we should expect. Innovation happens all the time at a certain pace. Big innovations happen infrequently, but are assimilated in a fairly short period of time. So when you look at artificial intelligence, when you look at what's the value of chat GPT, what's that going to do to, uh, to inflation? What's it going to do to our lifestyles? The answer is, you know, it's probably going to make, at some point, it's going to make some pretty big uh, impacts over a fairly short period of time. When I say big impacts, I don't mean it's going to, cause 10% deflation and, and, you know, throw, you know, 100 million people out of work. I mean, you know, something akin to the internet, right? You're not going to really notice the effect. You're going to notice it in micro ways. You're going to know this person got laid off because, um, you know, all he did was, was write thank you notes and we can get chat GPT to do that, whatever. So you're going to see little things like that, but you're not going to notice major, major changes all at once in entire industries. And similarly, you're not going to suddenly notice that your standard of living dramatically improves because of this. Because again, those are things that we would expect to be associated with uh, each other is that a, a, a drastic jump in productivity should, should be accompanied by an equally drastic jump in our standard of living. Uh, and so we're going to see some of this, but it's not something that enters into my forecast of inflation. It's not likely to be big enough to hold down all the other forces, and, and all the other forces that, by the way, have feedback loops. Like none of this productivity stuff has quanti- has feedback loops in the same way that uh, you know higher inflation feeds into social security, which gives people more money, which feeds into more inflation. Um, so um, so anyway, that seems like about what we should expect. Uh, from the rise of AI. Exciting, but uh, temporary and not, not too terribly threatening. At least, that's what my uh, machine overlords told me to say. That's all for today's podcast. Thank you again to our sponsor, Simplify ETFs. You can contact me at InflationGuy at EnduringInvestments.com. Subscribe to the blog at InflationGuy.blog. I mentioned that a couple of times in today's broadcast. Follow me on Twitter at inflation underscore guy or visit Enduring Investments if you have an inflation challenge. Most importantly, defend your money. And if inflation is coming for you, remember, you know a guy.